Good morning. That really is a big question, isn't it? Then what? That's what we've been looking at for the last several weeks now in this series. Uh, last Sunday, I had a friend say to me, you know, the series is going good. I like the series, but man, these messages are pretty heavy. Say, I think you need to lighten it up a little bit next week. And so I understand that they have been kind of heavy, right? You're talking about death and the inevitability of death. But maybe today will be a little bit better as we talk about heaven. You know, we love to use that word heaven. There's something about that word that is just appealing to us, right? There's, heaven symbolizes something that's great and something that's wonderful and something that's awesome. In fact, a lot of companies have discovered that we are drawn toward that word heaven. In fact, they use that word now in a lot of their branding and a lot of their advertising. Let me give you a few examples. Look at this first one, Johnson's Baby Cologne. I don't know if you can see it, but it says heaven right under the word cologne. That's, by the way, did you even know there was a baby cologne? Babies don't need cologne. Babies are supposed to smell like babies, right? Now, sometimes they need something, you know, but most of the time, babies should just smell like babies. But let's get past that one. We look at this next one. Hagendas has a new ice cream line, a light ice cream, and it's called Heaven. You can experience Heaven in four different flavors. Or how about Heavenly Caramel? Uh, this is a coffee, and on the bottom, I don't know if you can see the, the tagline, but it says on the bottom, it's so decadent, it's heavy, heavenly. Not sure about that advertisement, but, but here, here's one of my favorites. Heavenly Hunks. Heavenly Hunks is uh, a snack. That's what some of you ladies thought you were marrying, right? Was a heavenly hunk. Lisa thought that's what she was marrying, a heavenly hunk. But I turned out to be a hillbilly chunk. My favorite one is heavenly hounds. This is, this is a relaxation treat for dogs. <laughs> if your dog is stressful, if your dog is anxious, you, you can get them some heavenly hounds. As a society, we really seem to like that word, heaven. There's something comforting, something pleasing, something remarkable about that word. In fact, it is a very prominent word in the Bible itself. 622 different times the Bible talks about heaven. 346 in the Old Testament, 276 in the New Testament. Just want you to see it's a prominent idea, this word, this idea of heaven. And I don't know about you, but I can't wait to go there. How about you? Uh, you want to go with me, don't you? I- I'd like to take a few more people with me, though, wouldn't you? I- I'd like to take some more people, wouldn't you? <laughs> I will say to you that one of the things that led me to preach this whole series is a story that I read last month. In fact, you probably sometimes have wondered, you know, where do you get the idea for, for these series? And So let me tell you where the idea came from for this series. I was reading a story uh, in the news last month about Reverend Thomas McKenzie. Reverend Thomas McKenzie, an Anglican minister in Nashville, very prominent and popular Anglican minister in Nashville. He pulled out of his driveway with his oldest daughter, Ella, to take her back to school to Santa Fe, New Mexico. It was the first day of a well-deserved sabbatical. And right before they pulled out of the driveway, he posted on Twitter these words, First day of sabbatical, driving my kid to New Mexico. Today's goal, question mark, Shamrock, Texas. Less than 30 miles from home. 
He hit an 18-wheeler and he and his daughter were tragically killed. He was 50 and she was 22. He thought he was going to Shamrock, Texas that day and in reality, he made it all the way to heaven. As I sat there reading that story and thinking about it, I thought, you know, there's, there's that reality for all of us. We don't know the day of our death, but the question is, then what? There's a then what moment for all of us. That moment when we step from now into forever. What we've been learning in this series is that death is not the end of life. It really is the gateway into eternity. Jonathan, when he was at North Greenville University, uh, they were playing in the snow one time and he was making a video of that. And, and there was on the video, there were these three girls going down the sled or, or on a sled going down a hill. And all of a sudden the sled stopped and they just kept going down the hill. All three of them. And you know, that's really kind of what death is like. That, that you're, you're going through life and all of a sudden your body stops. But your spirit continues on forever. And what we've been looking at in this series is then what? So today our then what is I want to talk to you about a place called heaven. Perhaps the greatest promise of all regarding heaven is the promise that Jesus made in John chapter 14. Would you open God's word to the gospel of John? Chapter 14. Gospel of John, chapter 14. While you're turning, let me say welcome to those of you who tuned in today online. Thank you for joining us for worship. And we're looking at John, chapter 14. And I want to just read three verses to start with. Chapter 14, verse 1. Jesus is speaking and he says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Some translations render that you trust in God or you already trust in God. So now trust in me. That's what he was saying. Verse 2, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you may also be where I am. And you know the way to the place where I'm going. It's interesting that before Jesus spoke about heaven, before he gives us this great teaching about heaven, that he actually acknowledged that earth is a troubling place. He says that in verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Now this statement really is part of an ongoing conversation. To give you the background, you have to go back to chapter 13. In chapter 13, something troubling has happened. This is the last night before his crucifixion. This is the night of the Garden of Gethsemane. This is the night of his death. This is the night that uh, Judas would betray him and that Peter would deny him. This was the night before the cross. Look at chapter 13, verse 1. It was just before the Passover feast, and Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Look in verse 33. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. That's why chapter 14, verse 1, opens with these words, Do not let your hearts be troubled. They were troubled by the news that they had heard. They were troubled by this idea that he was leaving them and they could not go with him. They were troubled by the information that one of you will betray me and one of you will deny me. They were troubled by everything that they heard that night. And the Greek word trouble there is a very interesting word. It means to be disturbed or to be terrified. It means to be thrown into confusion. 
The message translation says, don't let this throw you. I know you've heard some bad news. I, I know that you're, you're, you're disturbed by what you've heard tonight. I, I know that you realize I'm about to leave and, and this world is going to get crazy. But don't let this throw you. Really what he was saying there, don't let this throw you into a tailspin. Don't let this crash your faith. Could I state the obvious? Life is hard. Would you agree with that? You didn't, you didn't need me to tell you that, but in a strange way, it helps us to know that even the followers of Jesus had times that were disturbing, times that were confusing, times that were troubling. Maybe you've gotten some troubling news lately. Maybe you've even gotten troubling news this week. I wouldn't be surprised at all if some of you, just this week, got some kind of troubling news. Life is hard. I was scrolling through Twitter just this week, and just the other day, actually, and I came across this tweet, uh, this lady, and this is what she tweeted. I'm just going to read it to you. She said, and I quote, a family member died of COVID yesterday. I'm sorry, a family member died of COVID today. An emergency C-section was required to save her unborn child. She was young, healthy, and active. She leaves behind a spouse, four children, a heartbroken family, and a community. Life is hard. That's an all-too-familiar story in our day and time, isn't it? Just this week, a few days ago, a couple of days ago, I, I preached a funeral in Georgia for a 43-year-old man who died of COVID. Life is hard. And I don't know about you, but it seems to be getting harder. Anybody else sense that? that? Life just, not only is it hard, it seems to be getting harder. But thankfully, thankfully, that's not the end of the story. Jesus told his disciples and us the antidote for a troubled heart. Jesus said in verse 1, look at it again. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Don't let this throw you. Don't let this crash your faith. And then he says, here's the antidote for your troubled heart. Trust in God. Trust also in me. I want you to notice that word trust is listed twice. Trust, trust. Now, either one of those would have been enough. Trust in God, that would have been enough. Trust in me, that would have been enough. But putting those two together is more than enough. But that's the day in which they were living. They needed trust, trust. And sometimes you and I, in this troubling world we live in, we need trust, trust too, right? Because of sin and sorrow and sickness and sadness. This world is a world sometimes a place of trouble and a place of heartache. And in that context, listen to this. Look up here for a moment. In that context... In that troubling context, Jesus lifted the eyes of the disciples and he told them about a world beyond this one. Look what he says in verse 2. In my Father's house are many rooms. And if it were not so, I would have told you and I'm going there to prepare a place for you. It's so intriguing to me that Jesus, in that context, he lifts our eyes from this world to the next. And here's what he's saying. Heaven is a real place and you really can go there. He said, look at verse 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. Heaven is a real place and you really can go there. One national survey suggests that 81% of Americans believe in an afterlife of some sort. And 76% of those people call that afterlife heaven. I find that statistic actually encouraging. 
Because it tells me that even in this skeptical age, that there are people, lots of people, that are crying out, that say there, there, needs, there, there has to be something more, right? There has to be something more than just this life. There's got to be something more than just pain and trouble and suffering. There's got to be something more than just living 70 or 80 years. There's got to be something more than being born and living and dying and be, being put in the ground. There's got to be something more. And the Bible says, Jesus says, there is. Heaven is a real place. And you really can go there. I love what C.S. Lewis said about this. C.S. Lewis said, Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. Think about that for a moment. You're not born with desires unless there's, there's something that, to satisfy that. Then he goes on to say, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. I love that. We are created for another world, created for something beyond this world, beyond this life. It was set in our hearts by the Creator Himself. In fact, that's exactly what Ecclesiastes 3 says. He has set eternity in the hearts of men. So going back to John 14, verse 2, Jesus promises that He will fulfill this desire that we all have. In my Father's house are many rooms, and if it were not so, I would have told you, and I'm going there to prepare a place for you. But how do we know that's true? How do we know that what He said is true? How do we know that what He said is right? How do we know that He, he knew what He was talking about? Go over a couple of chapters. If you're in John with your Bible, go over a couple of chapters. Chapter 16. You see, a promise is only as good as the person who makes that promise. So in John chapter 16, I want to show you something about the one who made this promise. Jesus said in verse 28, I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. I would say to you, no one else in all of history has ever done that. No one else in all of history has ever experienced that. Jesus is uniquely, uniquely qualified to tell us what heaven is like because he's the only one who came from there and came to our world and then went back to heaven. So he promised that heaven is a real place and you really can go there. Now, I want you to get your Bibles. I want you to look at verses 2 through 4 and I want you to see how many times you see the word place. Jesus emphasizes heaven is a real place. Chapter 14, verse 2 through 4. In my Father's house are many rooms, and if it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. There's one. And if I go prepare a place, too, for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you may also be where I am, and you know the way to the place where I'm going. There's three. You know what Jesus is saying? Heaven is a real place. Ladies and gentlemen, it is as real as Powdersville or Easley or Greenville. It is a real place. A place in heaven. A place called home. In fact, Jesus refers to it as my Father's house. Heaven is as real as your house. Jesus said it's my Father's house. My Father's house, not only is this an actual place, but it also is the place where God lives. I want you to understand something. Heaven is not just some vaporous, ethereal experience. Heaven is a real place where God Almighty lives. 
It is an actual place that you and I can go to. Now he says in verses 2 and 3 that there are many rooms there. And that phrase, many rooms, means there are many dwelling places. It's talking about the permanency of heaven. There's many places for people to dwell. A lot of people get called up in, well, I got a mansion in heaven. I'm not going to debate you on that. I just want you to know, I'm not real concerned about the mansion. I want to meet the one who is Lord and God of heaven and earth. And I want to be in his presence. Jesus said in in verse 3, so that you might be where I am. I want you to be able to, I want you to know that you're going to the place where you might be where I am. I'm preparing a place for you so you can be where I am. In other words, Jesus said, listen, he said, I'm about to go home and I want you to be able to go home with me. Now, when I was in Lenore, North Carolina, we would, uh, from time to time, go to watch a baseball game. You know, this was back before uh, we had kids or, or maybe when the kids were little and uh, we would go to, Lisa and I would go to Hickory Crawdads, uh, minor league baseball team, kind of like Greenville Drive. Hickory Crawdads had a great little stadium, great little team. And this has been 30, 35 years ago, and I still remember left field fence because there was a sign on the left field fence that just I thought was amazing. First Baptist Hickory put the sign up. It was their advertisement. To this day, it's the best church advertisement I've ever seen anywhere. Uh, Hickory Crawdads, baseball field, left field, big sign, bold letters that said, eventually, we all have to round third and head home. That is so true. Eventually, we all have to round third and head home. And I've kept that in my mind. Well, I found something recently. Don't put the picture up yet. I found something recently I want to show you. But before I show you the picture, I need to make sure you understand what you're about to see. Do you know what a walk-off home run is? Walk-off home run is in the bottom of the ninth inning. Somebody hits a home run that wins the game. It ends the game. He, he hits the, in the bottom of the ninth. He hits a home run, and, it, it, and now they're ahead, and now they win the game. That's called a walk-off home run. Well, I, I found this guy. He said that he collects images of walk-off home runs. Go ahead and put it up. He said, I collect images of walk-off home run hitters rounding third because those are great images of heaven. Look at that. This is a pastor, he said, I collect these kind of pictures of walk-off home runs when the, the hitter's rounding third because that's a great image of heaven. Think of the joy. The joy of rounding third and heading home. Think of the excitement of you seeing your loved ones again and they welcoming you into heaven. I mean, it's just going to be an amazing experience. We're all going to die, but then what? Well, let me tell you what the then what is if you know Christ as Savior. It's something like that, but it's even better. So i got two questions for you. Question number one. Who's at home plate that's going to welcome you home? You just look at that picture and you can imagine it, can't you? I can imagine my mom and my dad and my brother little baby brother that I never met. I can imagine my father-in-law, my mother-in-law. Got a lot of people on the other side. They're going to be at home plate. That's going to be exciting. It's going to be a celebration. Who's going to be at home plate for you? I bet you've got some people. It's going to be at home plate welcoming you there with arms held high, excited about. You're stepping into home.
Here's my second question. When you step from now into forever, are you sure that's where you're going? The obvious question for all of us, if heaven is an actual place that that I can actually go to, how can I be sure that I'm going there? It's a very good question, and Jesus answers that question for us. Look at the text with me. Jesus said, you know the way to the place where I'm going. Now, I don't know, I've read this text, I don't know how many times, and I still cannot get in my mind how he said that. You know, did he have a little smirk on his face? Was, was he very serious? I, I really, I don't know how he said, well, you know the way to the place where I'm going. And Thomas, Thomas, and, and I like what Thomas says here. Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? I like Thomas because my first name is Thomas. I'm Thomas Keith. And every time I see Thomas in Scripture, I think, well, I probably would have said something like that too. But Thomas said, from the Living Bible, he says, Jesus said in verse 4, Living Bible, you know the way to the place I'm going. And the Living Bible, verse 5 says, Thomas said, no, we don't. We don't have any idea where you're going. So how can we know the way? And then Jesus said, perhaps with a warm smile on his face, In verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Can I say to you today that Jesus is the only way to go to heaven? I want you to notice a few things about this verse. First of all, I want you to notice that that word I, in the Greek language, that word is emphatic. Literally, Jesus was saying, I and no one else. I and no one else. And Jesus made three claims that are preceded by the definite article. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Don't miss this. He is the only way to the Father. He is the essence of all truth. And He is the source of eternal life. And Jesus said, I and I alone am that. Now, some people are shocked that Christians insist that Jesus is the way and the only way to heaven. Some people just really push back against that. And maybe you're one of those people here today. Uh, And I'm not here to belittle you. I'm just asking you to think through this with me. But some people believe that that's just too exclusive. That we need to be more inclusive because there are hundreds of religions. And are we saying that only the Christian religion is right? Are we saying that... That, that we got it right, everybody else got it wrong. And, and so a lot of people say, listen, we're all climbing the same mountain. You may take a different route than I take, but we're all trying to get to God. And eventually we all get to the same spot. All roads eventually lead to the same place. All roads eventually lead to God. That's what a lot of people believe and what they say. But let me just remind you of something. Those watching online, let me re- remind you of something. Christians are not the one who came up with this statement. There was not some kind of council that decided, okay, the only way to heaven is through Jesus. Let me remind you, Jesus is the one who said this. Jesus is the one who made that claim. And it's really not a question about being tolerant. It's really not a question about being inclusive. It's really not a question about being open to other religions. It's a question of whether or not we accept what Jesus said. Jesus claimed to be the only way to God the Father. The only way to heaven. Some people may say that that's just too narrow. 
But in reality, it's wide enough for the whole world. Anybody can, can come to Christ. Anybody can come to God through Christ. Anybody can. Now, instead of arguing about how limited that sounds, I think we ought to be thanking God that there is a way to heaven. There is a way from this life to where He is. I did a little research. You might find this interesting. I did a little research that in building C, that's the building where my office is, I did a little research. I counted, actually. Do you know how many doors are in building C? It's going to surprise you, perhaps. There are 97 doors in building C. 97. Now, let's pretend that you want to go from this building to my office because you want to see my Pepsi collection, you want to see my, all my bottles and the lights and the clock, and you want to see my Pepsi machine and all that kind of stuff, the signs and everything. And you say, I'd like to see that. I'd like to go to your office. I say it was over in building C. There's 97 doors. Choose one. Just, and, and you could, right? It's like, well, I like this door. Well, I, like, I, I think I go down this hallway. I think I'll turn here. I think I'll go in this door. This door looks good. I'm going to take that door. Well, we'll all end up at the right place. No, we won't. There's only one door into my office. And you can very sincerely go to all the other 96 doors in that building. But there's only one door that goes into my office. Only one. All doors don't lead to the same place. There's only one door that goes into my office. That's not being narrow. That's just being truthful. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except by me. He was not being exclusive. He was not trying to be narrow. He was trying to be honest. He was just being truthful. But thank God there is a door. Thank God there is a way. Look at this reference in John 10. I am the door. Go back. I am the door. And if anyone enters through me, he shall be saved. I love that. I am the door. No one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus said. So in order to go to the Father, you have to go through Jesus. We can just get that. We could just understand that. And in order to go to the Father, we have to go through Jesus. We would understand that is not arrogant. That is so loving. That is such a great opportunity. In my Father's house are many rooms, Jesus said. There's room for everybody. But you've got to go through the one door that gets you into heaven. And that one door has the name Jesus on it. The reality of heaven is simply this. Heaven is a real place. And you really can go there. And I want you to. And the Bible says this. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. And then three verses later in Romans 10, it says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. That's not restrictive. That's not exclusive. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's not narrow. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone and anyone can go to heaven, but you've got to go through Jesus or you won't make it. I want you to bow your heads for a moment. Let me talk to you before we pray. 
I'm going to ask you today, perhaps for the first time in your life, whether here or online, for the first time in your life to put your faith in the Lord Jesus. Why don't you just step through that door? Maybe right where you are, say, Lord, I I understand now. There's only one way to God. There's only one way to heaven. There's only one person who ever died for my sins, and His name is Jesus. There's only one person who rose from the grave, and His name is Jesus. There's only one person who claimed that He's preparing a place for me in heaven, and His name is Jesus. So today, by faith, I confess with my mouth, Jesus is the Lord. And I believe in my heart, God raised Him from the dead. Today I trust, Heavenly Father, that You will save me and that Jesus will come be Lord in my life. You say that right where you are, those watching online, would you make that your commitment? Father, in the name of Christ, the name that is above every name, I thank You for the hope and the promise of heaven. I thank You that heaven is a real place and we really can go there one day when we know Christ. And it's in His name I pray. Amen.